Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, welcome to the Public Theater. I'm Oscar Eustace, and on behalf of Mara Manis and all of the board and staff of the public, I want to welcome you to this very special evening in honor of Václav Havel. Um, the entire world knows Havel as a hero, which he is, but we in the theater take a particular pleasure and claim to Mr. Havel, because we believe that somehow in this dizzying, stupefying, sometimes terrifying and shaming way, Václav Havel demonstrated the power of the theater to change the world and the power of an artist to make a difference beyond really any dream that any of us had had of how the world could be changed by the theater. It's an incredible pleasure to welcome into the theater where I'm proud to say that four productions starting in 1968 of Václav Havel's work was performed. And I'd like to, before we get started with the panel tonight, just give you to our partner in this entire operation, Gregory Mosher from Columbia University. Greg. Thank you, Oscar. Um, I'm Gregory Mosher. I'm the director of uh, the Arts Initiative at Columbia University. This is our 22nd event in seven weeks. Uh, um, all having to do with President Havel's residency at Columbia University. Um, we've been very driven by the idea that the students were not in kindergarten during the Velvet Revolution. And I think it would be fair to say that most of these 23,000 kids eight weeks ago thought Václav Havel was a hockey player with the Rangers. <laughs> um, but he is now the biggest star on the Columbia campus. Um, he is mobbed everywhere he goes. Um, we did a reading of, a, of, a, of an early Havel play, uh, The Garden Party, for the, the uh, class called Literary Humanities. All of the first-year students have to take it. 900 of them turned up. Um, Israel Horvitz, who's about to join us, uh, directed the production. Dustin Hoffman was in the cast. We thought, uh-oh, boy, will Dustin get mobbed afterwards. They ignored Dustin, mobbed Havel. <clears throat> so we've come from hockey player to rock star very quickly. And um, it's been a wonderful thing. We worked with a lot of partners on the Columbia campus, the law school, the School of International Public Relations, School of the Arts, of course, the Journalism School. And we've had partners all over town <clears throat> for these series of events. We were at MoMA on Saturday for an art and citizenship panel. We worked with The Nation, uh, the Apollo Theater, a couple more. Um, I'm particularly um, enormously pleased to be standing here with Oscar tonight. Um, not only did my theater career begin in Central Park, where I said one line in James Earl Jones' King Lear, <laughs> News, madam, the British powers are marching hitherwards, if you're curious. <laughs> um, uh, my acting career ended shortly thereafter. Um, and as some of you, I suppose, know, I, I went to the Goodman Theater and I ended up at, at um, Lincoln Center, where I worked from 1985 to 1992. And throughout all of those years, there was no more important person to me in the theater than Joe Papp. He was always true north to me personally. And there wasn't a day in my seven years, and Joe was alive for all of those, um, that I didn't think about what he would do in a certain situation. So it's an enormous honor to be here at the public today. Um, 
for Columbia and for me personally. There are many, many people to thank. Uh, Lee Bollinger, above all, the president of Columbia, whose clever idea was to ask President Howell to come to Columbia. Um, the staff of the Arts Initiative, the host committee of the Arts Initiative. And um, that said, on we go with this terrific panel who Oscar is now going to introduce. Thank you for coming. Thanks, Frederick. Frederick, could you try that line again? And this time, could you try just, never mind. More hair. We, uh, this, <laughs> between the two of us, we have a normal amount of hair. We do. Um, the, <laughs> this theater was founded as a theater with a public purpose, because it's not the public theater by coincidence. There was understanding that the theater was there to engage in the great social issues facing our time. And we've assembled a really extraordinary panel <coughs> of playwrights to talk about this idea uh, under the moderating influence, well, she's actually never a moderating influence, of Alyssa Solomon. We have uh, Israel Horowitz, Edward Albee, Anna Devere Smith, and Wally Shawn. And if you could welcome to them to the stage. <laughs> <laughs> good evening. I thought I looked really good. Uh, welcome. Uh, uh, I'm Elisa Solomon. It's my pleasure to moderate, as best I can, this panel of distinguished playwrights on the artist as citizen. Um, the playwrights Wally Shawn, Anna Devere Smith, Edward Albee, and Israel Horowitz are all quite distinguished with uh, many, many credits which are listed at least some of them in the bios in your program which i urge you to read they would take so long to read because they've all accomplished so much that we wouldn't have time to talk and so i'm not going to read their bios since you can do that we're just going to leap right into our conversation and we're going to have we're going to have a conversation among us i'm going to try to uh, toss out some questions here and there but my expectation is that as soon as one person starts answering, someone else will have a bone to pick or a point to add or um, something to extend the conversation. So we'll, we'll do that for a while and then we'll, we'll take questions from you. Um, so as you heard from Greg Mosher, this tonight's event is one of a number that have been taking place at Columbia and around the city in honor of Václav Havel, and, and a number of them on the theme of the artist and citizen, and this is, this is another one in that series. One of them featured Arthur Danto, the art historian, in conversation with the novelist and, and recent Nobel laureate, Oren Pamuk. And in that conversation, Danto asked Pamuk how he saw the relationship between being an artist and being a citizen. And Pamuk said he regarded the two roles as absolutely incompatible. He said that um, good citizens do not make good artists. Bad citizens make good artists. And I, w I thought maybe we could, we could start there. Um, I, I, wonder, I wonder if this, 
this, this idea of the, the bad citizen is, is resonant for you, but I also wonder if you find the two roles incompatible. It, it strikes me that for a novelist who works pretty much in isolation as he's, uh, as he's writing and then um, as readers of novels, you know, we read them alone and in, in privacy, that's quite different from what playwrights do. They, they may write in privacy, but then the work is created collaboratively and presented in public. And I wonder if that changes the nature of the relationship between the artist as citizen. <laughs> right, so um, what, what, what about you, that? What, what do you mean collaboratively? That, that when, a, when a play is made, typically it involves actors and stage managers and other people and That's not only not the playwright. Though, of course, sometimes Wally's work is, you know, has a solo piece. Anna's work um, is often done um, on stage alone. But um, it's a, it, it, at the very least, it's a public art form. I think we can agree on that, which is often different from the experience of reading a novel. Yes, but that shouldn't change the nature of the experience. Okay. Uh, the creative experience. Well, that's one of the terrible things that's going on in our theater these days, is that more and more playwrights are, are, are being forced, encouraged is a nicer word, forced to make collaborations they don't want to make uh, for the, for the uh, purpose of commerce and for the pur purpose of uh, making uh, theater easier for people to go to rather than the tough experience that it should be. Terrible things are happening to our playwrights. They're asking us to become collaborationists in, in, in the worst example of that word. <laughs> and how does, how does that affect the role of the playwright as citizen? Pardon me? How does that affect the role of the playwright as citizen? Well, I, I was wondering about that whole question of citizen. What is a good citizen? A good citizen is not somebody who sits back and, and lets Republicans keep getting elected to office. <laughs> a, a good citizen is a person who knows what he's voting about, knows why he's voting, and understands the issues, and, and then votes for the public good, not just his own selfish interests. That, that, that is good citizenship. But, but all people who write, I think, are, are, are trying to communicate to other people uh, a sense of what it is like to be conscious uh, and, and be a responsible citizen in a society, which means being, according to some people, a bad citizen, of course. But we're trying to communicate with people we write in, uh, a sense of, of what it is like to be conscious and to be a responsible person in your society. Yes. So that's, what, why, that's why we don't like too much collaboration. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about what about that sense of, of responsibility? Or, or you know, Wally, do you do you agree that the that the artist, the role of citizen and artist, are incompatible, or is or, or are they segmented? I mean, what I think I heard Edward just say that they're that that there's they're compartmentalized in some way. That the citizen votes, but the, the artist um, maybe puts those ideas aside. Well, um, I suppose the writer shares uh, what's inside his head in a way that uh, most people don't have the opportunity to do. So uh, right there, he is um, uh, 
I suppose, participating in uh, some kind of political behavior. He's uh, letting his uh, friends and enemies see what is uh, swimming around inside his brain, which ordinarily people have tried to keep secret. Uh, so I suppose if there were no writers, uh, then everyone would be uh, much more puzzled about what everybody else was thinking. <laughs> well, Anna, <laughs> you, you, you know, you've, you've um, in, in some of your work, you've put forward, I mean, as, as, as have um, Edward and, and Wally, and I'm sure they'll talk about it later, um, you've quite directly addressed contemporary issues in your work. You, you created and ran an institute on the arts and civic dialogue for several years, who, one of whose primary functions was to ask these questions about the relationship between civic participation and conversation and artistic experience. Well, I, I guess there's something I've been thinking uh, about the notion of the citizen or, or what's a good citizen. Um, I think there's something a little bit uh, dangerous about coming into speech. You know, I'm thinking about Edward II things. As you know, we've spoken, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf has been such an important play to me for so many reasons that I guess I wouldn't even be able to write about it because it's not even clear that it comes up in my consciousness, Wally. But I remember being in, uh, you know, our Chevrolet Impala or something with my mother in high school, and I was reading it, and she said, "Oh, you, you." She, she was driving, I hope. She was driving, <laughs> and and uh, she said, uh, "Oh, you, you like that, huh?" You know, she was talking about how much she liked novels, and I just was so liberated because. I could kind of hear hear the voices, something about speech and the fact that we come into speech with the play and that we are in public and speaking out loud and they're in the dark and we're in the light and something about that I think is, uh, um, you know, complicated, even a little bit worrisome maybe. And then today in class, I, I teach at NYU, we're working with the scene um, where Honey, uh, you know, wants to dance. and. I mean, I teach that scene, I've told you this every single time I teach, but today, for some reason, the, the quote-unquote profanity, for the first time, I thought, it, it hit me, you know? And I know at the time that you wrote those words, it was more controversial than now when people mm -hmm. use the word bitch easily, but it just leapt out at me that, that those words had a certain strength and that they caused a kind of controversy. And so... I think if there is something about the novel and the play, it has something to do with the fact that we come into speech and that that calls for people to make a physical action and words come out. So what... what can, can I, can I, can yes, I get something out, 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 of, out of my mind and then we can go on and have a sensible conversation? Uh, I am old enough so that I, when I was in my early 30s, spent a lot of time in Eastern Europe, in the, in the then Soviet Union and in, and, and in, the, uh, in, in, in Czechoslovakia and Hungary and, and the, uh, the occupied 
occupied countries, part of the Soviet Empire. And I learned something terribly important about uh, the difference of responsibilities of writers in, in, in those countries as opposed to what we consider to be our responsibilities here. I remember in, in, in 63 in, in, in Moscow meeting extraordinary people like Woznesensky and, and, and Yevtushenko and Nekrasov and, and Amalric and uh, Aksionov and people like that. And I began to learn more and more, and when I, when I went to the other Eastern European countries, I learned more and more about the fact that being a creative person in those societies, in, in dictatorial societies, was fucking dangerous. It was dangerous to speak your mind. It was dangerous to be brave enough to write what you felt. Uh, most writers in the United States have, have never suffered uh, that, that, that particular kind of attitude of, of, of a society and a government uh, toward their work. We have our own censorship. We have, we have our, our, our own problems in this country. But I learned so much about the fact that being a writer demands getting out there naked in front of other people and, and, and daring to speak what's important, no matter what the challenges are and what the results will be. And that, that was enormously instructive. I to think me. that's well said, and I think it's something that we, we forget. I, I, uh, somewhere uh, phoning up for tonight, because I thought I always think there's going to be a pop quiz and I'm going to fail. Um, I, I read something that uh, Mr. Howell wrote about uh, Eastern European writers being more at ease with war than, than we are. Uh, uh, here, here in the West, and I think that's absolutely true. And how uh, sometimes peace movements to Eastern Europe, Western peace movements to Eastern Europeans appear ridiculous, uh, and I and I can understand that. I, th I think that uh, the artist is born in the suffering child. I think that's kind of universal, but I think sometimes great art is born of a suffering society. Or suffering civilization, so that uh, uh, our beloved president, for example, becomes almost presidential after 9/11 because there's a need for for, for that. <laughs> well, there's there's something vaguely presidential in his soul for some minutes after that, and and um, uh, I I've heard Mr. Uh, Havel say more than a couple of times, uh, I, I'm not a great person, but my story is a great story, uh, which is a way of saying uh, I was in the right place at the wrong time, or I was in the right place at the right time, in that there's a society to, there's a problem to, to work against, and, and, uh, and yeah. But I, I don't, I, I, think, I think that's all true and important. Um, I don't think any of us is, is you know, whimsically longing for some, some kind of um, dictatorial situation so we, that we, 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 have, we can have already, of course. Um, better art. Well, we have it, so, it's called commerce. Okay, so, so just walking so around the back of these chairs yeah. is yeah. kind of dictatorial. What's, can, can one be a dissident artist in the United States? You damn well better be. Okay, and what does that mean? 
It means that uh, you do not... Uh, don't take it. Uh, you you don't conform to, to the standards that, that are meant to allow you to sell a lot of tickets. But you think it's your responsibility to tell the truth as you see it, and not just what's But you sell a lot of tickets. Huh? You sell a lot of tickets. No, I don't. I, I have 29 <laughs> plays. I have 29 plays, five of them. Re return their investment. I don't sell a lot of tickets. I try to. <laughs> but don't, don't tell anybody. No, but you, you have to be, you have to be a, a, a dissident writer in a society where commerce is trying to make you conform. You have to be. So what are some of the questions that theater needs to be asking then? Uh, why it is so interested in uh, lowering the standard of the public by what it, what, what it produces. For example, but I mean, in in the work itself, I mean, what, how, you know, how, how do you engage those those big issues? How 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 do you encounter them when you're writing from that inner consciousness and and feeling and that hurt childhood or whatever it may be? How does that intersect with the with your political opinions, your assessment of what's happening in the country, your dissatisfaction with, with the president, at least as expressed well, at and, that end of the panel. Unless you're a terribly didactic playwright who would rather write pamphlets than plays, you make the assumption that what is interesting you and, and concerning you might possibly be of some concern and interest uh, to other people. It's an assumption you have to make. You have to make the assumption that uh, you are not by nature somebody who sells out, that you're, you're, you're presenting, holding a mirror up to people, saying, hey, this is, the, this is the way it is, this is the way you behave. If you don't like it, why don't you change? You make those assumptions every time you write, and you're either right or you're wrong. I, I think when you're a kid and you're starting out, you're, you're, you know, it's a lot of, hey, me, look at me, look at me. And, and if you're lucky enough to have a career, you, you start to come upon notions like, what interests the public may not be in the best public interest, that you have some responsibility as, a, as an artist because you're lucky enough to just think about life. And, and, and uh, so you're dicking around with people's babysitter money and their time, and you, 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 you damn well better have something to say. So I guess in a kind of utopian society, um, I, I, I don't know, we haven't, what do I know? I've only lived in this country, and it seems to have been a mess from the time that you know I started writing, certainly uh, through now. So there's 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 plenty to write against. But I, I can remember uh, my first uh, really uh, pr pr profound experience is work, I worked on this. I wrote a film called Sunshine uh, it, with uh, uh, great Hungarian director Istvan Zabo. And I spent a lot of time in in, in Hungary, in, in Budapest, and, and uh, I felt like a fool. I mean, I, I was so stunned by the history of, uh, of that country. The, the more I knew, the more ridiculous uh, and privileged uh, I felt. So, uh, you, you know, this business of citizenry and theater, like a citizen of which country and at what time, I think what Mr. to come back to what uh, Hobble said about his own story is just simply true. I mean, there he is in the, the worst possible catastrophe, and um, 
it was an occasion to either rise to or fall to. How, how do you see it? Sorry, I'm taking up a lot of time. We have to remember there are a lot of cowardly writers in Soviet Union and Eastern Europe too. Yes. Only a handful were courageous. Which goes back to what Edward was saying of the, the absolute the absolute danger of it uh, uh, is is something we almost can't comprehend in, in, in this country to, to really uh, I mean to be jailed for what you wrote. Mm. I, why don't you tell them? I, I remember uh, from the '60s when Virginia Woolf opened in London. There was a Lord Chamberlain, and I remember the memo about that play. Can you well, remember? Well, that's, that's an example of silly censorship. I mean. Uh, let me tell you, serious censorship first. In 1963, I was in Moscow at the Silver Theater. There was sort of a thaw going on. And uh, they allowed a play, I can't remember what it was, I'm sure Václav uh, Havel may know what play this was, by a young Soviet writer, which uh, wasn't terribly condemning of, of organized religion. It was, it was sort of nice about, about priests. And uh, he was allowed to have this play performed. But, at the end of every performance, he had to get up on stage and, and respond to the audience, usually to the KGB plants that were in the audience, forcing him to do a mea culpa for having written this play. Now, that, that, that's a kind of censorship. Uh, what you do, what it used to do in London when there was a thing called the Lord Chamberlain's Office, which censored plays in case the Queen ever decided to go to the theater. <laughs> it could happen. And uh, I went to visit him, and he said, I, ha I have a number of things we need to talk about here. Uh, 77, he said. <laughs> 77 things which might offend Her Majesty. Oh my God. I said, goodness. And he said, well, let's start with the first line of the play, Jesus H. Christ. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> he said, I said, no, can't do that. He said, well, no. I said, Let me, let's table that one for a little bit. I, I want to get back to that one. And he told me various other things. At one point in the play, George refers to Martha as her father's right ball. The Lord Chamberlain said, you may not refer to her father as uh, uh, his right ball, but you may say right testicle. <laughs> uh, one preposterous thing after another. And I said, these are all very interesting. But now he had the ability to stop the play from opening. I said, let's just get back to Jesus H. Christ. I was really annoyed by this point. So I said, what if I change that line to Mary H. Magdalene? <laughs> <laughs> he thought for a while, and he said, all right. <laughs> so I took his list. And I went back to my actors who were sitting at the, at the theater waiting to find out what was going to happen. I said, these are the 77 changes that he wants. <laughs> and, and I tore it up. Uh -huh. And we opened and performed the play without any of his changes, and not a, bad, not a thing happened. <laughs> there are all kinds of censorship. Well, let's, let's go back to the, this, this idea about, um, about dissidents and, and what it means to be a dissident artist in the United States, if that's if that's even possible. I mean, Wally, do you consider yourself a dissident writer? You've you, I've you, had many failures. Yeah, I 
course he's a dissident writer. He's intelligent and he writes well. <laughs> That's all we can, I mean, do in, is in the, try the, to, I mean, um, I don't actually like particularly the idea that the, I like the idea that the people who would come to see what I write would, would actually be interested in it. So in that sense, I'm not really hoping to defy the people who would actually be attending the performances. I mean, I don't know. There, there is, um, and the people, you know, Donald Rumsfeld is, is not going to come to one of my plays. <laughs> he won't be there. No, but he could be a character. <laughs> um. uh, you know, the, the, um, the analogy with uh, the Eastern European situation is, is uh, it's very complicated. It's hard to, uh, I think we might be kidding ourselves if we would uh, go beyond saying, yes, I'm trying to write well, and uh, so, uh, and I'm trying to have a high standard so people who believe in low standards and stupidity won't like it. <laughs> but I mean, you're, you're also challenging, I mean, you're, you're, some of your plays are, are drawing certain cultural, political assumptions, taking them to their logical extremes and revealing the the um, you know how appalling that logic can be. Well, if you have, I mean, for me, it's uh, there have been certain moments when I felt uh, magically visited by an ability to write about things that are vaguely actually happening. Uh, and I'm. You know, if I can do that, that's a wonderful thing. But it has to sort of uh, come at me by accident in a funny way, or it feels, it's sort of, I, I can't, I don't know how to plan to do that. And it has to sort of come at me through the unconscious like everything else, I suppose. Uh, yes, it's terrific if you can if you can actually comment on your own time consciously, that's absolutely great. Um, but uh, of course you can't help commenting on your own time, whether you plan to or not. In some way you're commenting on the society that you're living in. You, you, what else could you be doing? But it is it's exciting if you actually think you have something to say. Uh, I mean, I did do a play in which there was a character who liked Henry Kissinger and she talked about Kissinger and it, I had the ability to do that at that moment. And it was, that was interesting and, and sort of exciting, but uh, I don't think I could sit down today, I have a lot of feelings about Dick Cheney, but I don't 
think I would have the ability to to really just decide to sit down and write about him. I'd love to, but I don't I don't know how to. It would have to kind of come to me. Maybe you don't feel the need to. I mean, I, I think if, if, if the bombs were really falling, it would be, I think in, Anna, in Anna's work, it's very specifically political and and most of my, uh, I, I never mention around Albee the number of plays that I've written because he always makes a like a wise crack that makes me really hurts my feelings. But, <laughs> and I want to say that it is, it's really kind of thrilling to be on a panel with Albee again and not be presenting him with an award. It's the first time that this is. <laughs> <laughs> or Marion Seldes for that matter. But I, I, can, I can remember, I mean, I really try not to write overtly political plays. I really try not to. I, I really try not to well, make, make judgments. And, and I, I really think the big question that people have in mind, and, and I know that I'm an American playwright. I know that. I travel in the world. My plays are done in 30 languages. And I travel, and I, I'm always made to feel like an outsider because I am. I, I, I am what I am. And I think. Probably the, the big question already exists because people really want to know why they're alive, you know. But it, when the bombs are falling, I think the issues are different. Well, the and, bombs and are falling. They might not be falling right here, but right not now. But our, our country they're, is dropping bombs. They're and not. They're not falling on us. And I think that that's uh, uh, there's a, a huge difference. In well, there. the bombs well, have been falling on us. The uh, the attempt of uh, the past six years to undo everything the New Deal accomplished. Of the, the destruction of so many of our civil liberties. That, that's a form of bombs falling. But, but I think, I think there, also... There's, I'd, there's I'd no like, question like, that it's true. Maybe I'm, I'd like to intervene, if I may, and just, just try, to, try to push this even, even a little farther. Um, and something that, 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 that you said, Edward, a moment ago. I mean, I think, I think American, American discourse around politics and art is sometimes not as... Um, not as rich as, as it might be, and the idea that um, art occupies a sphere um, higher and separate from politics, I, I, I think is... Different, is, not separate or higher. Different. All right. That's but, all but, we but, but to different. say, but, you know, some, some writers consciously do, or, or maybe unconsciously do, um, respond to what is happening in the moment, or, or perhaps in in the past in a way that um, I, I think it's too easy to, to just dismiss, and not just because I'm a journalist and standing up, but just to dismiss as, well, that's journalism. Um, look, I, look, I think look it's happened, also... Look what happened in the, in the 30s. We had a whole bunch of very well-intentioned agitprop plays. Well, they were politically leftist, they were very useful, they helped the unions, they were very, very good for the workers. Most of them were not very good plays. And so, they served their purpose and they vanished. That's, that was playwriting as journalism. Okay, but there's, all, a, there's also some, which is something, there are also some it was good plays it like Anna, for example. It was something lesser than you can accomplish. Okay, but it, I, I'd, I'd like The journalism of those plays reduced their ultimate value. Anna, you make plays that are very much of, you know, responding to specific specific political moments, um, uh, hot moments, um, moments that have a range of opinions about them and very high stakes in different communities. And you know, part of what you do is explore those various stakes and put them 
next to each other. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's journalism, and, and for sure I don't think it's mere journalism. Um, I, I, wonder, I wonder what you think about this, this idea of this, this separation or this differentiation. I mean, I think it's a very hard question that I just don't really know the answer to. I mean, I think that um, uh, you know, ultimately, um, say for example, in a play of mine, I take something that somebody really said, but I'm also using everything that I know uh, as an actor. Um, into the interview in terms of how I listen to them so that I can find the moment in that interview where they're speaking in a way that I think has aesthetic value. So I think it's, I don't know that we can make these definitions and speculation. I think we also have to consider, particularly with the play, you know, in the beginning you were sort of differentiating, dif making a difference between a novel and a play. Uh, because in the process of it coming into the air, there are many opportunities to take what might be life and might be current and bring it into another metaphoric uh, environment and into um, uh, its own kind of fiction. I mean, I always like to think about something that one of my colleagues, Richard Schechner, says, well, you know, giving the example of an actress trying to be Medea and she's uh, really failing at it. And, um, you know, she's going to rehearsal and trying her best. And uh, she's told that she's just not Medea. And she's like, not Medea. She's lost her wit, so she's not herself. So she's in what Schechner calls the not not, which is a positive. And so I think that, you know, kind of it's not journalism, maybe, or it's not, you know, a play, or it's not art. but in this suspended space, there's something else that maybe happens. And uh, that something else also may bring a different relationship with the audience. And so um, I don't know that it's useful to say it's this or it's that. Mm -hmm. There are too many possibilities that something else might happen. Chekhov, for example, was a highly political playwright. He was chronicling the decline of Zara's society. And he was holding this mirror up to people and saying, look, your society is collapsing. You're behaving in this particular way. An enormously political playwright, mm -hmm. but a far better one than the agitprop guys who confuse journalism with art. I, I don't think anyone would argue with that. <laughs> um, if if citizenship and and artistic work occupy some some different spaces, and maybe we should talk a little bit about. But wait a minute, wait, should we skip over that? Because okay. in a way then, Edward, you are acknowledging, I mean, unless I misunderstood what you said in the first place, you're acknowledging that there is the place where these political commentaries or these mirrors could be art. Of course. Yes, of okay. course. It depends and, what's and needed, politics. really, what's going on, what's going on in, in society uh, at, that, at that moment. I mean, I think... I think uh, all artists intuit what's what's needed. What's the danger really needed. is destructive didacticism. And it, and there's a huge gap sometimes between what's wanted and what's needed. And and I think that when artists are really artists, they're really concerned with what's needed. Mm -hmm. But also we're we're uh, our lives are full of 
the society that we're living in and the leaders of the government and I mean we're not leading isolated lives on a farm where we don't know anything but our own cows we're we're uh, you know we're it's I mean uh, these you know Bush is in our dreams you know so that we're if you write about life and you restrict it to, you know, two people in a room, Bush is in that room. He's going to be in the room. And of course, the history of theater, uh, certainly most plays used to be about political people, kings, and uh, I mean, the history of theater is plays on a big scale about society, and it's the domestic plays that are a strange offshoot of that, uh, rather than the other way around. I mean, theater didn't begin with uh, plays in somebody's living room, and then move on to political events. It went the other direction. And, uh, but it is, uh, you know, and I do think, I agree with Anna that uh, we, we can't, it's, it's very, very hard to uh, say much about these things because someone is going to think of a new way of writing that uh, might Everybody, I think, would, would love to reflect as much as he possibly can about the world that, that, that we're living in. It's a matter of thinking up new ways to do that. How do you do that? So do you need to create a new form? Is there something about the about theatrical form itself that, that carries a radical, uh, radical approach to ideas? It, it depends. I, Every time I uh, hear myself talk about what I think is the right form, I, I, I feel a little foolish because uh, I, I have a play opening soon, a couple of weeks called Lebensraum, and it's uh, three actors play 80 different roles. And, and I can remember thinking, well, this is a play that touches the Holocaust, and I, I think I better find a very fresh theatrical form or nobody's going to come to this play. I had a very conscious thought and uh, which isn't to say that I'm going to sit down and write another play with three actors playing uh, 80 different characters. So I, I think every, every play has its own life and whenever I hear myself and I can only speak for me on the stage, you know, whenever, whenever I start a new play I'm very conscious about trying not to repeat something that I've done before of keeping it fresh for myself, uh, irrespective of what the play is about. I just, I just don't want it to seem like, uh, and, and uh, uh, it's quite different, say, for Harold Pinter, when you walk into the theater, if your eyes are closed and uh, your ears are open and it's a Pinter play, you almost always can identify it as a Pinter play. So he, he's a very different kind of writer. He does well. Form and content co-determine each other. You, you can't impose form on, on a particular kind of content. It is wrong for that content. 
they co-determine each other. You know, I wonder what everybody thinks, including you, um, Elisa, about the fact that um, public language, particularly in politics or even uh, in journalism, particularly when it's spoken, if this were a panel mm -hmm. of journalists or when you turn on, you know, Sunday morning, um, that language in public has become so stylized and so mm -hmm. performed and the idea of the media expert, you know, um, that uh, what you, well, how does that change our role? Or even how does reality TV change our role? But more I'm interested in how the fact that, you know, when I was in Washington, I met this Jefferson scholar who said that um, Jefferson could never be found in verbal undress. And when I spent five years in Washington, it was incredible to me how designed all the, the language was and how much thought there is to the play that they're playing and the mm -hmm. script that they're speaking and the acting that they're doing mm -hmm. and how that informs us, what that means for us and, and our words. I think that's a, that's a great question and one I, w I was also hoping we'd get to and thinking you know, about, about Havel's own plays and his own um, you know, satirizing of bureaucratic language and, and also sentimental language and the, um, and I guess what our government kind of puts those two things together in some, uh, in some, you know, sentimental bureaucratic language. What, well, I mean, where we does do, that leave you? I, I do think that just, uh, you know, the, the fact that we uh, are speaking in our own language has become a rather important action on our part. I mean, that's rather... You mean in dramatic language or in English? When... No, I mean that we, that, uh, we write uh, plays that are not in the official language of television or politics. And people, when they would come and see what we do, they're seeing something that's uh, different from that language of television or politics. It's, it's a good thing. I, I think that's really interesting. But when we, we, hear the language, language. we hear the language of politics or we see the performances of politicians, we, we all sit back collectively and say, this will never work. No one's ever going to, there's such <laughs> bad actors. And this is but it does work. Bad, right? And it works. And it's just, it's so disheartening. It's so dispiriting. <laughs> I think that uh, also we shouldn't exaggerate how much we know about how a play affects us and in what way. Um, I mean, thinking of, I mean, if we're speaking of Edwards' works, uh, I'm thinking of a play of his that I saw when I was in my 20s all over that John Gielgud directed mm -hmm. and I have absolutely no understanding of why that play had such an overpowering effect on me but I felt that my molecules were being transformed by watching that play. It had a tremendous effect on my brain and helped to make me whatever I became, but I don't know why, and I don't know what it, I don't know how it had its effect, but uh, 
it made me a stronger person in some way. And, uh, you know, maybe before I die, I will do something of value to humanity, and it'll be partly because I was strengthened by that. It made me into something. But, you know, that... He didn't set out to do that. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> not, not you personally. No. I, thought you I thought you did. I can, I can remember um, as a kid seeing Raisin in the Sun. And uh, my family took me to see it in Boston. My father was a truck driver. And uh, it was quite a big, big thing for us to go in and see a play. And I can remember when the actors were bowing at the end of the play. And I looked at my family, I looked at the stage, and I thought, I don't want to go home with that family, I want to go home with that family. <laughs> and it was, a, it was a very, very, very important moment in my life, because I realized there was a thing called a playwright, and the playwright could, could take me to a place I might not normally be able to go, and it was such a, a place of privilege. It was a very and, important play. And, and uh, was it a very political play? Well, in my life, it was enormously political. Mm -hmm. Your parents, the they, end of my they, they did take you there, so... You bet they might have. I, I remember I had a play open in New York called a primary English class, and about 10 minutes into the play, uh, a, a, um, a Chinese man stood up. He was, he was sitting next to Clive Barnes, who was then the critic of the New York Times, and he stood up in the audience and he said, movie, 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 and he left. <laughs> and, and so I don't know if my parents knew what they were doing. <laughs> how, how does each of you uh, um, engage, you know, going, going back to the, the idea of citizenship, um, in, engage as activists? And some of you have already marked that as a separate, as a sphere separate from playwriting define, define and from what creative, you mean by creative. I'm going, please. You use the term several times. I still don't know what you mean specifically. Yeah. Well, that's that's part of what we're all going to try yeah, to talk about. You, but what, I, what I'm, do you mean by, by well? I'm trying to ask system. about activism at the moment. And actually, I have Define a fine activism. Um, I'm about to. Thank you. Um, um, I, I'd I'd like to know what kind of um, what kind of role you play in in speaking publicly, specifically about political issues, distinct from the plays that you may be writing. Um, some, somebody mentioned before that the peace movement seems ridiculous. Um, does it seem ridiculous to you? Are you doing anything to make it less ridiculous? Um, do you speak to your Congress members? Do you write to um, anyone in government? Do you lend your name to causes? Do you sign petitions? Um, I, I would include all of those. Do you organize? Um, do you hector? Uh, I would I would include of many of those in the category. Of well, of no, a number of artists don't, of and and oh, see that it that. somehow contaminates. You know, I think find it contaminating in some way. Generally, do. I, yeah. It just it comes with the territory. I'm very and, in, or used to be very involved with a community uh, in Massachusetts. I started I founded a theater there 27 years ago called Gloucester Stage Company. And at one point, I discovered I was researching a play, and a woman who was helping me uh, with the research um, started talking about the drug problem in, in this little town. I, it's a seaport in Massachusetts. I knew nothing about it. 
And uh, uh, she, I asked her why she knew so much, and she said that she had a junkie in the family. I wouldn't have known it. You know, I had absolutely no experience uh, beyond inhaling in the 60s. But um, <laughs> she died. She, she died from an overdose of heroin, and she was the junkie in the family. And I became very interested in the problem and discovered that Gloucester, Massachusetts had the single highest per capita heroin usage in the United States of America. And for the first time in my life, I wrote a play that was absolutely about that. And I believe in metaphor, and I, and I uh, uh, adapted, freely adapted Henry IV parts one and two and set it on the docks of Gloucester, Massachusetts. And uh, I called the town Gloucester, Massachusetts. People threw fish heads on the lawn of our little house in Gloucester, Massachusetts. I realized what I had done wrong. I changed the name of the town to Glossop, and uh, town in Scotland. And everybody was pretty down with that. That was okay. And uh, the play uh, caused an article to be published in the Boston Globe about uh, Gloucester, Massachusetts having the single highest per capita heroin usage in the United States. And that article got picked up by the New York Times. It was on the front page of the New York Times. And the mayor of the city of Gloucester told, called me up and told me he didn't know that Gloucester, Massachusetts had a drug problem until he saw my play. So I felt absolutely Shakespearean, you know, that I had actually, you know, done something that uh, had a direct effect on society. And I want to say, uh, beyond any question of a doubt, that play has never been produced anywhere else on the planet Earth ever, ever, and never will. So it had its value in its time in that in that place, and you know, uh, I don't know how artful the thing was, but it had a very clear purpose, and it served its purpose. Well, I, I would answer the question that just I do feel uh, that uh, I'm a beneficiary of the American Empire, and I don't particularly want to be. So I do feel an obligation to try to uh, make the world a little less uh, horrible. And I realize that I, you know, I'm using up more than I'm giving out. And I don't count on my plays to uh, even the balance. I mean, I, it would be great if uh, in six million years we would all be alive and someone would tell me, well, your plays actually improved the world enormously. <laughs> I would be pleased. Um, but uh, I don't think I can count on that. So uh, I do, uh, I didn't used to, but, but uh, in recent years, I do uh, do things like march in the streets and even, you know, and sign a certain number of petitions and, you know, even write articles if I'm clever enough to think of something to say that seven million people haven't already said. I don't think, I mean, no, I don't think it's quite good enough just to... Uh, write plays because I have no reason to think that they have any effect. I mean, I think that in Eastern Europe, when when 
the communism was was uh, holding sway, and if if uh, Havel wrote a play, I think he could see that it had an electrifying effect if, on anybody who read it or or was able to see a secret performance or or whatever. I I wouldn't stake that kind of a bet on my plays, and so that's why I march in the streets and there are other, I mean, I wish I were marching every day and I'm not, but, uh, and I, if I, uh, yes, I do believe in chaining oneself to buildings and things. This is stuff that we, that we do automatically. I, I, I know an awful lot of creative people, uh, writers and composers and painters and everything. The enormous, I would say 99% of the creative people that I respect are Democrats. It's just, it's just axiomatic. It's that low. And we do the things that, that responsible people are supposed to do. Uh, uh, we, we march in the streets. We, we make protests. I've been for many years on the Freedom to Write Committee of International Pen. We make protests. We go where the problems are. It's, it's part of the responsibility of being a responsible citizen. And so you're a responsible citizen by, by protest and, 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 and taking stands against the things that you consider to be unjust. That is responsible citizenship. And taking a stand in your work against the things you think should be changed, that is also responsible citizenship, even though it, it is in defiance of, of, of the accepted standards. Well, uh, I think with that we can... Um uh, eloquent definition of the responsibility of the citizen. Um, we can turn to some questions from the audience. Can we see the okay. audience? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I think they're going to lights the lights up. But, um, but let me ask one, one, put one question out while we're waiting for those lights to go up, and that is, you know, when Havel came here in 1990, I think for the first time, he'd been, you know, president for a couple of weeks, and, I think he was here you know, in the 60s. and, and, and he was other, here briefly in the 60s, right? I, I think that's right, yes. But um, when he came officially here um, in 1990, he, he spoke to the, the joint, um, joint session of Congress, and, you know, he came as, as president, but he was... I think best known to us at that point as as a playwright, and it, I remember wondering at the time what you know what would it be for any of our playwrights to have a chance to um, address a joint session of Congress, and I wonder if any of you would like to take a crack have at, you, at doing ever, that. What have you, you would ever like to say? Have spoken before before a committee of, of Congress? Have I um, and, and, and discovered the, the fear loving, and yeah. loathing <laughs> on, on the part of a number of so many congressmen of the Creative Act and Creative People? <laughs> yeah. And, you, and it is always interesting to me that 90%, over 90% of the money, this minuscule amount of money that we give every year to the National Endowment for the Arts, theoretically uh, for the creative people, 10% of it at most ever goes to the creative artist. 90% goes to buildings and establishments. Absolutely. It's preposterous. Institution. And, and, uh, Hmm. Um, in France, during the year that uh, that Jacques Long was uh, minister, I spent a lot of my life in France in the last couple of decades. And uh, when Jacques Long was minister of culture in France uh, during that period of what is it, 11, something like eleven years, a uh, hundred and 
$48, I'm making this up, but it was something like that, it was spent per man, woman, and child on culture. And in this country, during the same period of time, a dollar and 48 cents <coughs> was spent on, on culture. Uh, so it, it depends, a citizen of which country at, at, at what at, at what time? I, I do want to just throw this in because it's in my head and I'd like to empty this thought. I did a, a, a show in Paris and there were three very, very political, very tough, pretty obscene plays. And it was in a very left-wing theater called Le Lucenaire. And uh, there was a big guffuffle in the theater and uh, the guy who ran the theater, who was really hardcore commie, came over to me and he said, Madame Chirac has come to see your plays which was pretty stunning. And it turned out that somebody in the cast uh, was the daughter of uh, a, a family friend of the Chirac's. And so she sat through these really, they're really rough plays. And when it was over, I was meant to meet Madame Chirac and we talked for about five minutes and she never mentioned my play. She said, je dors cats, je dors my fair lady. <laughs> she never mentioned. Questions? I share that. Um, why don't why don't we take a couple in a row and then you know people can kind of answer them as a group. So I see one there, one there, and one back there. So yes, sir. Um, I'm I'm sorry. I the voice is not coming from where I pointed at, but right through. Okay, row up. All right, go ahead. Me? Yeah. yeah, sure. Go ahead. Okay. Well, I think we can. I think we can uh, talk about responsibility all we want, but uh, people are going. Producers are going to um, 
march to the drummer that they're going to march to. And if it's yes, the marketplace, they, they, they will produce whatever will sell. Right. So I think that the best thing for you, Alejandro, and you seem fairly young, is to conceive of a vision and do it a new way. I mean, that's what Joseph Papp did. That's what a variety of people have done. And you should do it a new way because it's we can talk about responsibility all we want. That's just not going to actually cause any action. If we had any sensible arts education in this country, in schools, it would help raise uh, the, the, the standards that people would bring to artistic judgment, and then you would autom ax axiomatically have better public arts if you had a more educated public. Okay. So I identified a few questioners before. Um, I think one was there, the guy in the dark scarf and glasses, and then the gentleman behind whose hand is up, and then um, farther back. Let's collect three questions, and then um, and then we'll have some answers. So I was I was wondering if, if the panel could speak about the fine line between politically conscious theater communicates and magic. Okay, thank you. And the gentleman, yes. Uh, Mr. Albee spoke at the beginning about his admiration and respect for Soviet writers who I assume were writing against the policies of the Soviet Union. And while he spoke about what happened in Eastern Europe, I just wondered if you might comment on the disconnect it seems between what we are witnessing as hopefully the destruction of the American empire and the bombs that fell here in New York and a lack of response in the theater in articulating this with the same degree of courage as those people in the Soviet Union and the Eastern Bloc countries did, while we simply enjoy, as Wally said, the fruits of, uh, of, our, of, our, of this culture. Thank you. And uh, yes. So, um, can I just jump in? There was so much to hang on to there. I'm sure we're all in the same the, the same model. I want to say that one one problem that uh, I recognize, and I'm sure that we share, is this feeling in this particular country at this particular time. You often feel that you're preaching to the to to, to the learner. You know, you somebody said. Dick Cheney's not going to wander into a play of mine. I think Wally said that, or something like that, or you could have said that. And uh, <laughs> and, it, and and we feel that it's really true that you. Uh, so there, there's a there's not a, a great impulse, at least on 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 my part, to toward agitprompt theater beak, but I. I I, for one, thought Michael Moore's speech at the Academy Awards was fucking genius. I just thought it was great. Uh, I, I was so happy to see that because I knew it would be so unpopular and he wouldn't be uh, preaching to the learned, that there would be Republicans uh, 
watching and listening so that he really he 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 really as annoying as he is he really uh, got his message out probably more effectively with his speech at the Oscars than he did with his film uh, that 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 reached an audience that would be in agreement to begin with. I'd like to um, what what you just said I think brings two of the questions together because um, you you collapse the idea of um, political or radical or deliberate conscious work with agitprop. Um, and I think the, the first question was was whether that's always the case. No, I said um, agit, I, I didn't say agit, you, agitprop you, was, 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 was uh, a bad example of what we're all after. Yes, I agree. No, I but I, I'm, I'm referring to the question that, um, that the first gentleman asked about the, the distinction between those things. And, and, um, and Israel, you just said, well, you know, in, in answer to the, this other question that's been forward, where are the where are the plays responding to the um, so-called war on terror, um, et cetera? And it, if I understood you correctly, you, Israel, you kind of immediately went to the assumption that that would be a kind of agitprop, or at the very least, to a preaching. No, well, I, I, I said that's so, not fair. I think you have to look at the theater for what the theater is. I mean, we, we're sitting in New York City where. A ticket to a play can cost 125 bucks. You know, you're, you're especially not, one about the, the who, rise of comedy. Who the hell do you think you're talking to? You know, with your play in that in in that theater, you have to be out of your mind. But maybe we are just all um, thinking about the the uh, professional theater or the theater in New York as though it's the only thing worth us discussing. Mm -hmm. And there could likely be something happening at Columbia University that is important to know or, about. Or, or in something the, or in the happening in uh, the street or something happening mm -hmm. in Idaho. I mean, it's all theater. And I think we should be careful not to be speaking of the so-called official theater, mm -hmm. too. I mean, yeah. um, so... Right, at, right after 9-11, lots of us writers were, received letters and telephone calls from publishers, from, from magazines, from newspapers saying, please write something in response uh, to the bombings of the World Trade Center, as if we were supposed to be able to turn out something in 15 minutes. Right. Sometimes it takes five or 10 years. Or more. This reminds right. me of Peter yes. Brook. I uh, remember right after the Monica Lewinsky story broke, and there was an NPR discussion with Peter Brook, almost as though then, too, we should all have a story mm -hmm. about, uh, we should be Shakespeare about Monica Lewinsky and and Clinton, right. and you know, he he talked about how long it takes for this stuff to get to that unconscious, subconscious place you're talking about, and then how long it takes when you think of when you we think of Chekhov. One of the things was that he rendered the complex simply. What what does it take to do that? And so, I think that we're also to answer your question. Yes, I can barely see the, uh, the, uh, there even in the light, but um. You know, I think we're all bombarded. I think we're all bombarded, and particularly because we're bombarded by official language on every front, whether it's the cover of a magazine, whether it's television, uh, whether it's the way we talk to each other, and how do we sift through that to come up with something that is both original and powerful at the same time, which is why I would think that, Alejandro, you should be thinking of new ways to create these 
engagements uh, with audiences, things it, that haven't been yeah. thought of. It may I will, want, it may after, after September 11th, we, uh, I have a son who is at Stuyvesant High School for, for a period of three hours. We didn't know whether he was dead or alive. We didn't know whether the towers fell on his school or whether they had imploded straight down. And I wrote immediately about September 11th. I made a film called Three Weeks After Paradise that was made three weeks after, after what my oldest son said was the end of paradise for Americans. But I wasn't writing a big political treatise about how, how the world created September. I was writing about a father realizing that his kid was in danger. And by God, that film resonated around the world. And, 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 and I created, I, we, we created a fund for children of the, and grandchildren of, of the victims. And, it, and it's taken in hundreds of thousands of dollars. So it was accidentally a very political film, and I said terrible things about George Bush in the film. I mean, I was just me talking, and and and. Uh, but the impulse was in, in no way a political impulse. It was very, very emotional and parental. We've lived so long in a society where we don't expect to be bombed, where we don't, we have not expected terrorist attack. Uh, um, other countries, other societies, where exactly. people have lived. Uh, under totalitarian rule or uh, uh, understand better and maybe can respond quicker. I, I, can, well, I, think that, I think that Havel said it, but I can remember Ishvan Zabo saying the same thing, saying we, we're quite comfortable with this. Mm -hmm. and, and it seemed like an astounding thing. And it made me feel like I came from another planet. I have to say, I mean, this is, you know, in a way, who cares? But just to add, I mean, I did write something immediately after September the 11th, and I couldn't get anybody to publish it. Right. So I just tossed that in. Well, we're back to that. You know, the producer, the publisher. We're back to that. And I've seen you perform a, a monologue that asks the question, where's our Guernica? Well, that's Bryce Martin uh, talking to me about uh, seeing Guernica. Uh, and, um, you know, he really asked, where's our war painting? Why haven't we, you know, having been in Madrid uh, and, uh, in 2003 and um, asking that question, where is our war painting? Why haven't we made our war painting? And what pleases me, though, is um, I was performing that on the radio in, in, uh, in August and... Uh, a lot of, you know, young kids, you know, wrote to me and said, I have a war painting, and, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, here's my poem. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things actually Bryce says in that piece, too, is it's probably out there and we just don't know. And that's the thing that I think we have to be really careful about is that here as we sit in New York, you know, where do we get our information about what's happening and what's out there? Mm -hmm. I think, I mean, for me, that's one of the things that's, that's very interesting about the... Um, the 365 plays project that Susan Laurie Parks has has created that that is being you know produced all over the country by theaters like the public as well as you know kids in a garage in Wyoming and God knows where else and I, I think that's revealing to us what our national theater is that it that it's this you know, disaggregated diverse. I mean, we just didn't always have the off Broadway theater. I mean, that's why I say this. It's serious. You know, we didn't always have this place 
And uh, so there's going to be something else, and there's the power and the imagination right in this room to lead us that way. Other questions? I, can I also say about yes. why these plays have not come to our attention, if they exist, it, it, it has, we're used to responding very slowly, and uh, I think... In the theater. Yeah, and, it, and I think uh, there's been, basically, since uh, Bush came into office, there's been one shock after another. It's happened so quickly, and... Uh, you know, you, you, by the time you might have thought, gee, well, maybe I'll write up something about that, something even more shocking happened <laughs> a month later. Ch Cheney shoots his best friend. <laughs> yeah. Well, Elisa, uh, 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 this makes me think that, you know, one of the things we were proposing uh, at Harvard in the summer that you were there at the Institute is, you know, sort of the antithesis of the notion of nurturing plays, this idea that came about in the 70s and the 80s and bringing them through this birthing, and just, you know, put it out there right away, half made up, and let's see what happens. Now, was it art? Maybe, maybe not, but I think something happened interesting by saying, just put it out there and there's people, an audience, who are also thinking of these things in a different language another way, and let's see what happens if we, you know, work more quickly and more responsibly. I think that's part of the thing to try to solve is how to be more responsive. Does it, do we have to take five years? I, I don't know. Yeah, certainly if the forum were available, uh, one might be more tempted to, to, to write that. I mean, if you could actually write a play about what happened today and actually have it put on in two weeks, uh, it might inspire well, in fact, people you, to do you, that. You can. You just can't. You can't do it in the in the in the obvious system uh, that we have. But of of course you can, and and we do. I mean, it's. I'm doing plays in 99 seat theaters or 60 seat theater or no theater at all in, in a room with a young troupe and. Uh, Anyway, yes, you can. It's just a matter of reminding yourself that you can and that it's important to it. And, and getting your play to people who aren't already in agreement somehow, getting it to a fresh place. And maybe, uh, you know, this, it's, I have to say this, it's, it's so moving to me to be in this room, in this house that Joe Pat built, because uh, he, was, he was one of a kind in my lifetime. I mean, he was, he was a, actually a producer. He really was a producer and a great producer when he was out of money. I can remember him naked with a barrel going on television singing, Brother, Can You Spare a Dime? <laughs> and, um, but he would damn a play that wasn't uh, uh, solid and serious. And, and he would take a play that was solid and serious and, and really really produce it, really believe in it. And, and uh, um, there, there aren't any Joe Paps around that I, I can see so readily just now. I also want to say something, too, that it could be also the possibility of thinking about uh, when the artist speaks and when they stop speaking. You were talking about Raisin in the Sun earlier, and 
I've always been very interested in a, a series of different interviews of, of Lorraine Hansberry uh, after that uh, show and uh, after it opened. And, you know, they weren't very friendly interviews. Uh, and she was so eloquent. I mean, it was extraordinary to me. She's in her 20s. And the kinds of questions she was asked and the sort of insinuations about who she was and what her politics were were brutal. And I don't know that we are necessarily, if we think that our work stops when we hand in the play, I mean, when our work stops, when we stop speaking, or do we come into the light in a, a certain kind of personality? I don't know that we have even, that people get trained to do that. Mm -hmm. And I, I was, you know, man, if she was 20 like, something and talking like that. So I, I'm, I'm getting a cue that we're supposed to stop, though um, I see that there are like a million people who want to ask questions. So I just wonder if I can take just a couple more questions. And um, is that all right? OK. So um, let's just collect a couple more quickly. And, um, and this will be the last round. So uh, one here, and one there, and one there. And the second? Yes. Um, hi, I'm Roberta. You're talking about citizenship and theater, and I'm trying to put something in perspective that perhaps you can help me with. Mr. Albee was talking about what a good citizen is and how you all go out and support and march and sign petitions. And on the other hand, we have been told by doing these things that we as citizens are unpatriotic. So I'm trying to find out if you're a good citizen and you are patriotic, how does that impact your theater? Do you write and consider yourself unpatriotic? Do you write and think you are good citizens? Um, what is this dichotomy and how do you think about that? Thank you. And the last question was somewhere over there. Yeah. Sorry, what did you say? If you, a citizen to me right now, in my head, is defined as somebody who belongs somewhere, knows that they belong somewhere, and according to that feeling of belonging, as either an active or non-active citizen. I wonder if for you as writers, is the sense of belonging or not belonging to the world that you're trying to <coughs> tell us as messengers stories about, stops you or pushes you towards telling even more stories? Do you feel like you belong in the world that surrounds you right now, and does that affect if you write or not write? OK. Thank you. So um, really hard three, to hang three on questions to about citizens. Three questions about 
uh, all relate to the idea of citizenship. One around, do you, does it have to do with a sense of belonging? And do you feel um, that you belong? One, um, asking if it has anything to do with patriotism and do you feel patriotic? Is there a dichotomy there? And, um, and the first one was about the responsibility of theater artists here to um, reach out to um, well, speaking the to the, the first one, it is it is uh, something that strikes me as odd, uh, quite constantly now because I'm back and forth between Paris and New York, um, or France and the United States. That Paris has so many more theaters and and such a larger theater audience for all kinds of theater, for large commercial theater and very non-commercial theater, very political theater such a larger audience uh, than we have and such a larger number of theaters. And, and at this time in this country, I think Yasmina Rezer is the only French playwright uh, being produced. I can't think of a single other French playwright who gets produced. There may be a, some odd productions of Ionesco, who's really Romanian anyway, in, in colleges, but in terms of uh, theater around the country, there are no French playwrights. I think we are probably the least embracing of of all nations I know, of, of uh, the, or let's let's turn it around. It's certainly uh, the most xenophobic of any country. Actually, I would flip that question because at this point, I think that we have a lot more to learn from them. To tell you the truth, and Just we seem thinking least, we seem quite unwilling to. Well, I, I mean, some we, people, I mean, some people are. I mean, I mean, that's I think a broad statement, but in um, the opportunities I've had to be in Africa or Latin America, at least, I've been extremely inspired by uh, the work I've seen elsewhere. So it might just be that it's useful for us to be more mobile in general. Does anyone feel patriotic? Somebody, who was that wise person who said that patriotism is the last refuge of scoundrels? Right. Uh, Unthinking patriotism, of course, is, and, and insisting on belonging to, to a corrupt uh, a society, uh, that is a, 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 a corrupt thing, a thing to do. Isn't that what we're, we're wrestling with this definition, the good citizen, I think the implication is, is the good citizen says, okay, I go with the political administration rather than against it. No, but I don't, I don't think that's what we're saying here. I mean, no, I no, think no, we're, we're saying... saying, but I think that was the implication of the topic somehow. Mm. I mean, or you mean Elise's first question, maybe about that? Well, I think it was the op I think it was the opposite. I think if, if we're going to go back to what Pamuk said, that, right. that um, the, you know the bad citizen was was the good artist. But, democracy, but democracy is so fragile. I, I've seen it uh, vanish in, in in other countries. I saw it vanish in Czechoslovakia, for example. I've seen it vanish in countries, and and I see the inroads against the uh, the, the sensible progress of democracy in this country. I, I, I find it terribly dangerous. And this sends people to their own form of barricades. And I think being a responsible citizen is going to whatever barricades are essential to go to, to keep a democratic process going. Yes, it's definitely the uh, scariest time that, uh, that I can remember and uh, you know it's it's not absolutely ludicrous to think that uh, you know if things if trends don't usually go 
all one way, but uh, let's say they did, in 20 years we wouldn't be having this conversation. That's right. Well, we'd be very, very careful about what we said, <laughs> unless we were being brave, as so many people in Eastern Europe I saw being brave. Like Mr. Havel himself, which exactly. makes the perfect segue to the next moment um, of the evening. The evening is going to conclude with a very special presentation, and um, so now it's, it's my pleasure to introduce the translator, dramaturg, critic, and chair of the OB committee, Michael Feingold. Oh, wow. I knew I would stumble on that last step, no matter how carefully I walked, because this is such an extraordinary occasion, and my head is reeling from all the ideas started by the distinguished artists on the panel. Um, so I, my brain is completely scattered. I'm not used to doing this, and forgive me if I'm terrified. Um, the, uh, I wanted to throw one extra thing into what's been said. You know, the, the critic of the Village Voice would have to get at least one word in sideways here. Uh, in the 60s, when there was a lot of upheaval and political protest, on campus, moderates, especially involved in the arts, in the older generation, were always throwing at us a famous quote from Chekhov, who said, the artist should only engage in politics insofar as is necessary to defend himself from politics. And this was meant as a cue to go slow. However, I looked up in the biographies, the context in which Chekhov had said this, and in fact he was writing to his publisher Suvorin, who was a vehement anti-Semite. Chekhov was defending Zola's activities in the Dreyfus case and the publication of Jacques. So that was what the artist had to do to defend himself from politics. Um, that what is about to happen here is a sort of reenactment of historic moments that should have taken place and didn't uh, because an obstacle called the Soviet Empire got in the way. Uh, Václav Havel has been awarded three Village Voice Obies for distinguished playwriting in various years, two of them for productions at the Public Theater in this building. <clears throat> and one for a production at Lincoln Center in the what was then called the Forum Theater and is now the New House. And he was unable to receive these awards because he was under house arrest at the time. I believe in one case Joe Papp actually was able to smuggle the award into Czechoslovakia as it then was and presented clandestinely. Uh, we have made up a simulacrum of the awards, which um, I have signed on behalf of OB judges, past and present, with great enthusiasm. I am an extremely nervous person about presenting awards. I ought to, by rights, be giving a speech about 
President Havel's distinguished career as a playwright and his distinguished career as a statesman and the miracle by which he has sustained these careers bravely and honestly with great integrity and without ever losing his sense of humor, which is the most extraordinary thing for me in these basically terrible times. I, I was struck by the fact that the panelists began by speaking cautiously and apolitically and ending up by saying that we are living through a, te a terrible time when we are really all terrified of what may happen next. Uh, I'm terrified of the procedure of giving awards, so I've invited a friend to join me up here and to add some glamour and moral support. Uh, she is a longtime Havel admirer since she was in the original cast of the Memorandum here at the Public Theater. So will you please welcome Olympia Dukakis, who will present Mr. Havel. Thank you very much. Uh, at the time when uh, we would first went into rehearsal with the play, um, we all knew that it was very special. And uh, it was a very volatile rehearsal period. At one point, Joe thought the play, we should do it, uh, we should all decide who was a Semite and who was an anti-Semite. <laughs> and then another point, he wanted to talk to the audience. And uh, so when uh, President Hubble came to see the play. I have to say we were terribly nervous. And I want you to know, and again, I want to thank him for his kindness to us, his generosity, and his understanding as he looked at these very nervous, very nervous actors. So, President Havel, this is for you. It's another Obi, officially in New York City. in this discussion, my famous colleagues, and <clears throat> permit me to tell only one sentence about uh, politics and theater. <clears throat> I personally think that, or for me, is theater something which open the teams, which put the questions. Uh, I don't like much theater which likes um, to teach 
audience or to explain what is best and etc. But it is very necessary to open the questions. For example, people after the production have to think if something what they have heard before this performance and they thought that it, it is very clever that it that it was not stupid yes it is it is appeal to think to think about your experiences about yourself about the world around you not i think that theater has not to teach but to ask to to formulate questions it is my my personal opinion once more thank you very much and i am very happy that i received this award here in public theater it was place where i was 38 years ago i was invited by joy pap and for me it was extremely uh, extremely strange experience because i came directly from airport to this theater and to the middle of the rehearsal of my play and uh, it was and it was for me very surprising that it was very similar to the production in prague it was it was the uh, really the same play <laughs> yes and i met joy pap more times and i like him very i like him very much i think he was he was important person in american in american theater well thank you for attention